Tuamira mata cha pita tuamira Tuamira bandhu cha sakha tuamira Tuamira vidya dravinam tuamira Tuamira saravam mamodeva deva God is in everybody. I bow to God as my friend, my beloved, my prized possession, my companion. I bow to him in you, because you too are my friends. I would like to read from Conversations with Yogananda. This saying is a very important one. Many people today, more in America than here, but maybe also here, I don't know, don't see the importance of having a guru. They don't see the importance of being taught by anybody. In fact, I was like that too. I never met anybody I wanted to listen to. I never thought anybody knew what I wanted to know, and so I wouldn't really listen. In fact, I was a bit of a rebel. I didn't stay in college. I got tired of the kind of things they were teaching us. I thought, this isn't life. This isn't teaching me what I want. It isn't teaching me truth. But you know when I read Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, this was in New York in September 1948, a long time ago. I read that book. I was between tears and laughter. It was really the greatest experience of my life. And I knew that what he had, I wanted. I couldn't accept all the miracles. I couldn't reject them because I couldn't reject him. But I was not at all, with my Western education, not at all prepared to think of somebody materializing. <laughs> On page eight, Lahiri Mahasaya materialized in a wheat field to reprove my guru's father, saying, Bhagavati, you are too hard on your employee. And I thought, well, okay. He says so, but I couldn't corroborate it with anything in my experience. And then I hear of these masters living for a long, long time. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't doubt it. I just had to put a lot of things that he said on a fence, but I believed him because I felt that finally, in a lifetime of traveling, I had met someone who was genuine. And I took the next bus from New York to Los Angeles, four days and four nights by bus. I came to him, and the first words I addressed to him, I never dreamed I'd say such things to anybody. I said, I want to be your disciple. I have never changed that thought. I have always known that my life is dedicated to making him known. I have longed to make him better known in India. Many people have read his autobiography, but not many people know him. They all want Kriya Yoga. Not many people realize that one of their very greatest spiritual giants was sent by the masters. He was a master, sent to the West to bring India, the true India, to the West. But you know, Although he, mind you, I didn't know anything. He asked me, he said, I give you my unconditional love. 
I didn't realize what a tremendous blessing that was. He asked me if I would give him mine. I said, of course. Then he asked me for my unconditional obedience. Well, I'd never really obeyed anybody that much. I was quite a rebel. But I had to be honest, desperate though I was. I just wanted to follow him and to find God. But I thought, I have to be honest. And so I said, but if I think you're wrong sometimes? He gave me a beautiful answer. He said, I will never ask you what I want. What I ask of you will only be what God asks me to ask you. And so in that spirit, I took up the life of a discipleship, and I did my best, and I have always done my best. And these are some words that he gave on the subject of discipleship. If you go to a doctor and get a prescription from him, but after you return home, you tear it up and toss it away, how will you expect to get well? The guru is your spiritual doctor. It isn't sufficient merely to have a guru. You must do what he tells you. If you follow his prescription even a little bit, your life will be transformed. Everyone who practices what he learns here will pass through the portals of death into the radiant kingdom of God's light. Don't expect to get there, however, if you merely depend passively on the guru, like a superstitious patient whom one may imagine framing his prescription and hanging it on a wall, as if expecting the writing itself to make him, make him well. And don't think to get there by merely hanging on grimly to the end. Go on with steadfast faith, devotion, and joy. Long before you reach your divine goal, you will have realized how very sweet life can be when it is lived rightly. You will be glowing with inner radiance, vitality, and happiness. The Master used to tell us, if you practice even a hundredth part of what I teach you, you will reach God. Now this is the wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things about the spiritual path. It's not like entering a Sahara desert and you have to go forever and ever and ever. Finally, at the end, you may come to the, some sort of greenery. It's not like wandering in the desert and maybe after long, weary, plodding miles, you reach an oasis. Rather, the further you go, the more green everything becomes. Everything in your life becomes sweeter, more beautiful. You know, I'm far from that goal. I'm not a guru. I haven't realized God. But I have found that the closer I come to him and the longer I practice these teachings of my great guru and my goal, my purpose in life is to share his teachings with you the more I find that everything in my life becomes verdant, beautiful. You find that when things go wrong, you're not touched anymore. When things go right, you don't get jubilant. You just say, well, it's a part of God's beauty. His is the grace. His is the beauty. His is the reward. Learn to be as yoga teaches, as they as the teaching of the Bhagavad Gita is, 
to be even-minded and cheerful under all circumstances. Again, I want to make this point. Philosophy won't do it for you. Practice is what does it for you. Meditation. When every day you meditate a little bit, and however much you meditate depends on you. There's nobody saying, standing there with a rule telling you you've got to do this or got to do that. But you yourself become your own disciplinarian because you find it works. You find that there's a lot of fulfillment that no matter what happens, you don't want to miss that time with God. Because that's sort of like you don't want to miss your meals, do you? You get hungry. You get hungry for that peace. You get hungry for that joy. And the more you, you do meditate, you know, you reach a point after you've sat there for a while and you think, oh, I should go about my duties. I have things I have to do, but let me just sit here five more minutes. And you see another hour has gone by. It's such a wonderfully fulfilling thing. And, you know, you're not doing anything. You're just becoming. How different life is when we understand that the secret of it is to become, to be, not to do. I say that as somebody who's done a great deal. Well, my guru told me to. I suppose I have that bad karma I've got to work out because I've written 79 books and I've written over 400 pieces of music and I've started seven communities. And Yes, it's been a sort of a huffing, puffing, busy life. He told me it would be like that. And for a long time I resisted. I wanted to be a hermit, but that wasn't what my karma allowed me. Yet I'm very grateful because even in the midst of that, I find that I become stronger. I become more peaceful in myself. When you do God's and Guru's will, then you find that everything flourishes. And I saw again and again with the disciples that those who thought that, well, I think I should do this or I should do that, I tried it. I mean, I did try to do his will, yes, but still he would tell me to do things and I would think, yes, but I want more time to meditate. And uh, that was not the path he gave me. And I found that I wasn't getting what I wanted. But the more I did do what he wanted, the more everything seemed to flow and I felt better. It was a very interesting experience I had many years ago. I had, when I was building the first of our communities, I didn't have any money and I didn't have any rich, rich friends. I had nobody to depend upon. I had to earn that money. And in America, he used to charge money, not for himself, but for the work. I charged a little bit of money. It was very little. But nonetheless, I, I found that when people paid for something, they took it seriously. When they got classes free, they didn't take it seriously. And so I gave these classes, and I earned the money, and I had lots of students. I had maybe 300 students a week. And so the income came, and I was able to buy the land, build the first buildings. You know, to build something successful, you've got to have success. And how do you get success without people? So it's sort of a catch-22 kind of thing, an American expression, which means that uh, you're going in circles. And uh, so the more I worked at it, however, the more I realized that... that uh, my gains were more inside than outside. There was a time there when people were threatening, threatening me right and left. I didn't know anything. I'd lived in a monastery all my life. 
And here these people were threatening to take away my land if they didn't get paid immediately for this and that. And I was honoring my obligations. I always honored my obligations. I believe in it. I don't believe the spiritual life is one of just sort of letting it all go. If I make a promise, I will hold to it. And so I was doing my best. But then this one company, for example, a lumber company that we owed money to, and I had promised him a certain amount every month. He'd agreed to it. Then he saw the opportunity to take all my land away. So he put a lien on it, and I got a letter from the lawyer that if you don't pay in two weeks, we'll take it away, all, all your land. And I said to him, what have you done? We've got an agreement. He said, yeah, I know, but you know, you have to be practical. and means be greedy. Well, I, had, I was able to meet all those things somehow. You see, God is the real doer. It was, it was that particular test was a big one. But I was showing some slides that I had taken, color slides of India, in somebody's home in Palo Alto in California. And later, a young man came to me, and he said, uh, I like what you're doing. Do you accept donations? Well, donations, gosh, I was always happy to get them. Didn't get very many. And uh, so I figured he'd probably give me $5, $10. He leaned over the hood of the car and wrote me a check for $3,000. That got me out from under that lumber company. Again and again, I saw that God always came to the rescue. And in the end, I did pay for it. In the end, I did have buildings. I did have land. But you know what I really learned was that my victory was not the success. My victory was the strength that I had in doing what I had to do. We must do God's will. In this case, I knew it was my guru's will. He had told me certain things that I had to do, and I was doing my best to do them. Don't think that being spiritual means sort of sitting back and letting it all happen. That's not spirituality. That's laziness. If you do your duty, as Krishna said to Arjuna, do your duty, fight the battle of life. And if you fight that battle, not angrily, not with not with with the a feeling of hurting anybody, but just doing your duty as you have to do, you will see that there is the supporting power there and that that power ultimately will feed your inner life. You will become stronger in yourself. You will find that wherever you go and whatever you do, all becomes peaceful. So call out to God. Live for God. The song that we're going to sing in a few minutes is Lord Most High, Our Heavenly Father. It was written, inspired by the great Saint Francis of Assisi in Italy. Actually, I live also in Assisi because we have a center there and a community there. I spend a large part of the year uh, in that country. But the vibrations of Saint Francis in, in that town, in that environment, are still alive after, what, eight centuries? The joy of living for God. Make him your goal. Make him your prostrations. Make him everything. You will see that in all that you do, if you give the least little thing to God, as a beautiful poem of Rabindranath Tagore has it, I was a beggar. And I was, I'm not quoting him directly, but I was a beggar. 
and I saw this great chariot, and I thought, the king has come. What will he give me? But when he stepped off his chariot, he said, what have you got to give me? I had nothing but a little grain of seed to give him. And that night, when I came and emptied my little satchel, I found one grain of seed had turned to gold. Whatever you give God, he will give you back a hundredfold. God bless you. Lord Most High, our Heavenly Father, all our lives we dedicate to Thee, all our labors, all our joys and woes, all our pleasure, all our melody. Make us each a channel of thy peace. When in darkness, guide us from above. Where there's sorrow, may we sow thy joy. Where there's hatred, may we share thy Lord Most High, our Heavenly Father, all our lives we dedicate to Thee, all our labors, all our joys and woes, all our pleasure, all our Yeah.